Well, welcome back. Um, I'm Seth, and this is uh, also Seth and Jessica. Yeah. So um, we're yes. there's only two Seths. There's there's the, not three Seths. There's here. only two Seths. No, that Seths might be Jessica. a little excessive. Although there is uh, there <laughs> is a new uh, a new addition to the family who is uh, Seth William as Seth. well. Uh, William. Oh yes, Middleton we had a new Seth. grandbaby born yesterday, so that's pretty exciting. Yes, yeah, sure. William Seth is a part of our family, and maybe when he gets older, he can join our podcast. But uh, right I, now I don't he's... know that it'll be running that long. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's very um, optimistic. Yeah. So <laughs> about the second episode. So so today we're going to, we're going to talk about the uh, Disney's telling of the fairy tale of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And we're going to have a, it's going to be a three part. We're going to talk about the storytelling, uh, efficacy of the storytelling process. And Seth's going to lead us in that. Uh, And then we will talk about the, we'll analyze kind of the psychological aspects of the relationship between the uh, princess, who in this case is Snow White, and and, uh, the prince. And and then we will, we will, finish up with a discussion of why is this an important story in our mm-hmm. in our lives and in our society yeah. so Seth, and the, gonna... this is also the the first episode of a, a media analysis series that we're going to run talking about each of the disney princess movies in order of their release so we're starting with snow white and we're going to go through with sleeping beauty uh which is not the next one. The Cinderella, next one is Cinderella, Beauty. Cinderella, and then Sleeping Beauty, and all the way until um, I don't remember which one we decided to end on because it gets a little bit more muddy in the recent Later movies as on. to what counts. We're, we're, we're going to go at least through Frozen. Yeah, we're definitely going to go through at least through Frozen. Okay, sounds good. Um, and 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 we are going to just also so you know we are going to do a comparison of the uh, and 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 rank the princesses in their relationships and the chance the psychological chance of uh happiness in the future relationship with their prince in their marriages so we're going to do that at the very end when we've talked about them all or we're going to do it as we go along like you know the next princess can can be placed in the rankings above or below the ones that have gone before i think Um, we're probably gonna well we're we're gonna kind of have some uh a couple of points where, where we stop to talk about what we've talked about so far. So, like, after we get done with the, the classic, the first three classic princesses, we'll do kind of a... A rank a order of Ranking those of, of those three. Okay. And then with the Renaissance and then with the modern movies. And once we get to that point, we'll, we'll get through. Go Sounds through good. We just are building anticipation for what's coming. Yes. What are we going to do today? Let's get into that. Yeah, today yes. today we're going to talk about Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, and Seth's going to start our discussion. All right. So, um, the well, the first thing that always comes to my mind when I'm thinking about this movie, the, the Disney version of Snow White, is just how beautiful it is. Like, um, it's really a unique situation in that it was the first feature-length animated movie ever made and so they really wanted to get it right and so they didn't have like a like a really strict um deadline the way that a lot of of modern movies do where they 
announce it way in advance and say, hey, this is when the movie's coming out, so they have to rush. Like, they put all of their effort into making every single part of the movie look and feel really, really beautiful. So every aspect from, like, all of the backgrounds and the animation and the music and the storytelling, I think, are all, all have this really beautiful fairy tale-esque feeling to them. And a lot of the Disney princess movies are uh, kind of reinterpretations of the fairy tale, but with this first one, with Snow White, it really is basically just a straight telling of what happens in the fairy tale. There's not a lot of, albeit, of change. From... Albeit an abridgment of the original tale. If you consider the original to be the Brothers Grimm version. Right, it does. So the Brothers Grimm version has um, the wit, for instance, as a, as a difference, that <clears throat> has the witch coming multiple times to Snow White at the dwarf's cottage to tempt her with yes. different things before the poisoned, the, the infamous poison apple. Mm-hmm. And it has a scene at the end after Snow White and the prince are married when they invite the wicked queen to their wedding and force her to dance in red hot shoes until she drops dead. Right, and get that kind of classic, grim, in in multiple ways, grim uh, fairy tale ending. Yes, the, the uh, fairy that is tale the, justice. The retribution against the villain. And and you do get some of that in in this one because she falls off the cliff. You know the dwarves. But it's a little bit. It's the beginning of, a... of the Disney fall. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is. Well, it's the first it is the very first Disney fall. But it's interesting that in in the case of uh, Disney's movie, the retribution is a little bit less of the characters being able to actually get revenge within the story and more of a divine retribution. It's right. uh, the, the evil queen is rewarded for her actions with her demise, but it isn't Snow White or even the dwarves who actively cause it. I think maybe um, we should go on and talk about the... The, the psychology or counseling mm-hmm. section so, that you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so, so with this one, one of the things that we want to talk about is just talk about the, the psychological aspects, not, not of the story, but of the character, specifically of the princess. So we're, pre- we're pretending that these characters are real people who have a life outside the movie so we can analyze like right. what would be so going this, on outside of the story. So this segment Not is just... a little bit isolated from the from the analysis of it from a from a literary or uh, that kind of perspective. We're not saying like when we go through these Disney princess movies if we end up getting to one and saying, "Oh, this relationship would be absolutely horrible in real life." That's not saying that it's horrible in the movie because the purpose it's of not, that kind of writing isn't always about being completely accurate to real it's, life. It's not saying it's not artistic, it's not saying it's not good storytelling, and it's not saying it's not a good story to to have as part of your life. Absolutely. It's totally separate. Right, and we're and and, and, and we're gonna So we're just having fun. So with really this. this is this is what what would happen if Snow White walked into my office needing help. Okay. Yeah. That's what that's what this is. Which, considering some of the events in the movie, I can absolutely see that happening. So, so obviously, we we can take a couple of things. You know, right from the beginning, we've got Snow White who is being uh, abused by her by her stepmother. So Snow White has multiple moments of 
uh, you know, traumatic moments in her life. She's been she's being abused by her stepmother. That's pretty clear. She's being forced mm-hmm. into a a servitude, um, and you know, she's very cheerful through that. She you know, she's not she's not. She's not playing the victim. Yeah, she's not playing the victim. She actually handles that extremely well. I think the real so I don't even I don't even think that that is a reason for her to come, that she would come in to see me. I don't mm-hmm. think that's a reason she would go to see a therapist. I think she was handling that well, and I think that's one thing that we have to remember that some people go through tra- what what we look at and we think, wow, how traumatic, but that's not traumatic to them. Because it's it's a context that they that they're able to deal with and manage and handle. So what you're saying is that trauma is not an event; it's a response. Correct. So two mm-hmm. people can experience the exact same traumatic event. One person will experience trauma, and one person will, will experience healthy response. Right. And so, yeah. uh, uh, in the beginning of this movie, that's not to say that she's perfectly happy. But she certainly seems uh, to to be responding to her situation in a in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. But the real moment where she where she, I think, really does experience trauma is when the huntsman is about to kill her, and then he doesn't, and then he tells her what her stepmother is trying to do, and tells her to run, run. Get as far away from here as you can, you know. And there's a moment where she's now she really is traumatized. You know, up to this point, her stepmother just made her work and be a basically be a slave. She handled that well, but learning that her stepmother wants to kill her, mm-hmm. and and having somebody there who's actually there to kill her, and you can see it by how terrified she is as she runs through the forest. That the forest becomes um, abnormally terrifying to her right. the trees look like monsters and they're reaching out fingers and the, and the to grab animals. her cloak and i'm not the expert here but i do think that that is like realistic psychologically as to how that how we might respond to something like that i know mm-hmm. that definitely there are times that like uh we live out on like a, a family farm and we have some some kind of foresty woody areas uh, that I used to like to go and explore uh, around with my friends as a kid. And if you're just out in the woods, hanging out together as friends, having a good time, uh, it is a very different feeling from something like being out alone at night or something like that. Like well, and, and your psychological alone, reaction to it can change a lot depending right, on the and, situation. And being alone in the woods after being told that the, that the person that has been your caregiver for your whole life is trying to kill you with yeah. good evidence. Of Fortunately, it. that one has never happened to me, but I can definitely <laughs> see it being... Uh... I have not sent a huntsman to kill you yet, Sam. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm a little sure concerned about that yet. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> so, okay, so, so, so she does have a traumatic event. She, well, she has an event that could cause trauma. And she responds to that event in a traumatic way. Yeah. And and so we see that. I think the movie makes that pretty clear that there's, there's she's she's scared, she's frightened. In but she a has unusual way. resilience, and that's what you're she pointing does. out with how well she was responding to the mistreatment by her stepmother when she comes out of the forest and and she realizes that 
the forest animals that she was terrified of are cute little bunnies and fawns. Right. Well, and she's and she's, birds. She's still in the forest, though. When well, she, I mean, it's true. She's but she's in, like in a, a she's in a clearing. Clearing. Right. Yeah, she's, but you're right. So you're right. So, it, but it's not very long before she has the resilience to kind of laugh at herself, and she's mm-hmm. like, "I'm so ashamed of the fuss I made," and yeah. and mm-hmm. and sing a little a happy song but she sings to the animals what do you do when things go wrong oh you sing a song and um, and, 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 and and it's it's just showing like i said this earlier this is a very simplified version of the story so every plot event is going to be a simplified version of the emotional response right and, but if, if you think about this too you know she says what do you do and the birds whistle and she says oh you sing a song and even if, I mean, in, in the story, obviously, the birds are actually interacting with her. Mm-hmm. But if, if this was a real girl out in the forest that was terrified, and she was using this technique to try to soothe herself, right? This is self-soothing. That's what she's doing. She's, she's using she's it as looking a method at the to help animals. deal she's with lo- the tra- traumatic situation. Yeah, she's looking at her surroundings, and she's finding things within her surroundings that she can use to calm herself down and move on. And that's what she does. She sees the bird singing. Oh, you sing. And so she starts to sing. And so even if you take it metaphorically in the sense that maybe the birds aren't actually interacting with her, but she's able to use that as a way to cope with this event that she's, that she's, that she's experiencing. Mm-hmm. And she's able to calm herself down using a, a, a very good self-soothing technique. And I think music is one of the best self-soothing soothing techniques you can use, mm-hmm. either singing or listening to music. And, and she's able to calm herself down. She uses it when she reaches the dwarf's cottage and there's this huge mess. And she decides, oh, if I clean up this mess, maybe whoever lives here will offer me a home. And that huge mess could look not traumatic, but certainly overwhelming and frustrating. Mm-hmm. When I'm confronted by a huge mess, my initial feelings are not usually really chipper. Right. Uh, a lot of times, they're they're yeah. discouragement and thinking, "How am I going to, you know, right. how am I going to conquer this problem?" She uses music there again. Right. You've got whistle while you work. So she you, also uses lots of animals chipping in, but you know that's yes. But but again, you could take that as a metaphor where she's imagining that she's got this help and she's singing while she goes. And you know, in the movie, yes, the animals are there. But even if the animals weren't, even if that was just her imagination, it would be a great coping mechanism mm-hmm. to deal with the situation that she's in. So I think she's just got this really good, very uh, what was the word you used earlier? Resilient. She's, she's very resilient and has mm-hmm. great internal and, and personal coping techniques yeah. to and deal you, with situations. And you uh, like recommend that people use similar coping techniques uh, and, and um, stuff like that with music in your work a lot too, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. We use, we use music all the time. And we, we in fact, on our, on our website, have playlists for people that they can listen to in certain circumstances that can help them mm-hmm. work through these different, these different situations. So, so in thinking about her and her relationship, a couple of things that I think are important. Number one, she's very resilient. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, and, and we can see that. Now, here's the other thing you have to, I, I think is important. The prince is depicted as being very gentle. Mm-hmm. Now, she's been with a, a, a stepmother who is not gentle. No. He's very harsh, very mean to her. 
And and so and so she meets this gentle guy, and 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 I think there's a lot of infatuation that goes into the into that. Like, wow, this guy is really gentle with me. I've never experienced this. This is wonderful. Um, so I think I think uh, her resilience and his gentle nature have the potential to lead to a really good relationship. He does make kind of a pledge to her in that first scene because his song. And I don't think we get any dialogue from him other than the song. No. Right. His song is one love, I have but one love, one yeah. love only for you, one heart tenderly beating, ever entreating, something and true. Anyway, yeah. it's the song is basically a pledge of love. So it's not just that she's seen him and had a remote romantic interaction. There's been an actual kind of Oh, yeah. um, there's actual reciprocation. I, 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 I think there is. So when I'm looking at this though as a, from a, from a psychological perspective, from a from a merit from a, a relationship perspective as a, as a as a relationship coach, I would say they they've got a good chance of a good happy marriage because of her resiliency and his gentility. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think those two things together could could lead to really good but i do think there there are some there are some red flags there are some <laughs> issues with this relationship too and that is number one she doesn't have um a, a history of standing up for herself yeah. <laughs> which means if if it came to a point where he became overbearing she likely would simply give in and make the best of her situation. And she doesn't really have any familial support or anything like that of other people who can stand up for her. No, no, I will say she does have one thing going for her in that sense, and that is she has the dwarves. Right. They're very protective of her. They are. And they they chase that witch off the cliff uh, as a you know as a result of what of what of what of what the, the witch had done. And so I imagine that they continue to be a found family. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I imagine that she actually does have that support. Okay. In the past, I wouldn't have made that, that connection, but I really do. I think as I, as I think about how defensive they are of her and how care, how much they care for her. Yeah. They're not just going to let her walk out of their lives and, and, and be like, Oh, well, Okay. Now that she's is a something good point. Else. Yeah. So I do think she has support. Now we don't know from his side. We have any idea what kind of support he has or what kind of background he comes from. But he does appear to be a gentle, gentle, and and really care for her, which would give me the indication an indication that he does come from a much more supportive background than she does. The only other thing we actually know about him is that he's impetuous. That he sees a girl and declares his love to her. You know, that's mm-hmm. that might not be his general character, but uh, even if that's what you feel immediately when you see somebody, if you aren't impetuous, that's but, not going so to be your reaction. That goes back. That goes back. Also, he is impetuous, but that, but that's a part of his youthfulness too. Yeah, right. So they're both. They young. are both young. They're both going to do a lot of growing together, and mm-hmm. um, I think. People tend to think that getting married young is a bad idea for long-term relationships because you have so much growing to do and you they think you better get achieve your fully mature developed 
and find person, yourself before find yourself you... and then choose somebody who matches that um, but what what is your what are your thoughts on that well my personal thoughts are this my grandma was 15 when she got married and I have seen very few relationships that were as close and as happy as my grandma and grandpa who were married and stayed married for their entire lives and were just happy. And it was so fun to go and visit them. And, and it wasn't until much later that I knew how old gra grandma was when she, when she was married, but she was 15 years old when she got married. That's only a year older than this, than this uh, Snow White character. Yeah. Um, so that's an anecdotal example. Well, what that's what, I, that's what I was saying. My personal. That's that's. This is my personal, my experience. We were also anecdotal experience. Relatively young when we got married. You turned twenty three the week before our wedding. I turned twenty one the month after. Yeah. So. Um, and, so we're we're gonna come down on favor of. And I like of, being married to you. Oh well, that's so. That's a coincidence because <laughs> I happen to like being married to you. I don't actually think that's a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, I think um, here's here's what I think. I think that it is better to marry young. Maybe not fourteen. That might be a little too young. Even fifteen. Even fifteen. It's not, it's not what you would recommend. No, it's not what I would recommend. Certainly not. But, but I think if you're thinking young as 18 to 25, I think that is actually the perfect age range for being married in because I think it's better to find yourself with your spouse than to find yourself without your spouse because people who, tend, who find themselves first are not able to give themselves wholly and entirely to their spouse the way they should. Hello, this is Seth Jr. Uh, what you've just listened to is a collection of clips from a full hour-plus podcast that is available right now on our website. Uh, so if you want to hear the full discussion and the conclusion of our analysis of the relationship in this episode, you can jump over there and become a patron member. Uh, for as little as $20 a month, our patron members get access to all of our full podcast episodes as well as uh, a ton of other great tools and classes that can help you to make a positive difference in your own life. Uh, so go to atwaterhealing.com and become a patron member today, and we will see you on Friday.